Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. Okay. Hey, I want to welcome everybody to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors. I am your host, Chris Flaming, here as always. And I have the distinct honor of hosting David Machia to the program. He is an entrepreneur, a thought leader, a public speaker focused on communication and tech solutions for retirement income distribution planning. David writes frequently on the retirement income subject for consumers and financial professionals, highlighted by a book called Lucky Retiree, How to Keep Your Retirement Income and Create It, using the Income for Life model. David, thanks for being here and welcome to the show. It's my pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're going to have fun. We got a lot of ground to cover. Um, I'm really excited today. It's a topic that I'm passionate about, so let's jump in. Now, I read your bio and was on your website. I'm sure you have a pretty interesting history. So if you could just kind of take the audience through a brief synopsis of that, what led you to where you are today? It's a long journey, which means I'm old, I guess. <laughs> uh, I, I started actually in the insurance industry. Okay. And that's, that's where I learned how to really communicate with people, I think. And along the years, my career bifurcated. I had half of my career as a consultant working with large uh, investment management companies and insurance companies, helping them better communicate their products. If I've been given any gift in this life, it's the ability to simplify complex concepts so that everyone can understand them. And the second part of my career, which ran again in parallel, was the business of wholesaling, distributing products, insurance products of different types of products to large networks of agents and advisors. And so I learned a lot about the the business of financial advisors and how they operate, what's important to them, what the challenges are. And um, all of that went on for for many years until 2004. And in 2004, I became aware of this phenomenon of the baby boomers retiring, the 76 million people approaching retirement who had been saving for many years, who would need then to turn their accumulated savings into retirement income. And the whole issue of retirement income has consumed me since that time because it's very challenging. It's not intuitive, even for financial advisors to know how to do it properly. And it certainly isn't intuitive for ordinary people to know how to make that transition. So, um, yeah, I guess that's by way of background how I got, got to where I am today. And I, like I said, since 04, it's been my uh, constant focus. Okay. Now, if you could go back in time and talk to the younger you, the younger David, is there any maybe advice or insight that you would provide to that younger David? Yes. Be more focused. At times, um, I think I lost a little bit of focus in certain areas. I believe in focus very much. And I also believe in something called the unique ability theory. I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, I'm not. coach, uh, Dan Sullivan, who runs a program oh, called okay. Strategic Coach. Okay. Anyway, in the late 90s, I I attended that program. It's for entrepreneurs of all types. And uh, there's a lot of it I honestly don't remember, but there's something I remember that's virtually seared into my memory. 
And that is the unique ability concept. And, and it basically applies to everybody. What it says is that there's something that you have about you that is your unique ability. And if you're doing things that other people can do, then they should do those things. And you should only do what your unique, unique ability is. Because when you're focused on what your unique abilities are, you're going to be much more efficient. You're going to be much more successful. You're going to make more money. You're going to get better service. Everything improves. So when I've, when I've remembered that and tried to implement that, those are the best times professionally for me. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I like that. I sometimes struggle with that too. Is this the best use of my time for my talents right now? I think we all do, right? That's, Absolutely, that's the I think so. Yeah. So what was the genesis of this passion for helping baby boomers and soon-to-be retirees? What, where did that come from? When I realized how challenging it was, when I realized that the things that we're taught in financial services about investing money don't apply to when you're spending your money, I realized that there was a big learning challenge involved. And I also realized that people were going to run into uh, difficult circumstances and potentially even running out of money in retirement unless that was fixed. So I think it was the, the scale of the opportunity and the scale of the challenge around that opportunity. Uh, because we don't do a good job in the United States of educating people on personal financial issues anyway. Yeah, sure. uh, there's, there's no education at all on how to you know, turn your nest egg into retirement income. Yep. Yeah, there's a big, I want to call it a void there. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So for our audience, sim yes. um, simply define, mm -hmm. what is the broad term retirement income planning? What does that mean? Because they yes. might think it's maybe the same as retirement planning or investing, but yeah, it's not. Or, or they may think it's the same as financial planning. Right. And it's not. Retirement income planning is what happens, the way I think about it at least, after financial planning stops. Hmm. Financial planning is, is to get you to retirement in a good financial shape with a good number of assets. Retirement income planning is the subspecialty, if you will, of, of uh, financial planning that focuses on how to intelligently turn a lump sum of money into income that lasts for your whole life and ideally adjusts upward as inflation takes hold in the economy. And obviously, we're dealing with inflation right now. Yes. Um, so inflation-adjusted income for life is the ideal outcome for any retiree. And a lot of people don't understand the difference between accumulating money and distributing it. So just so we're on a level playing field, why don't you kind of explain the difference and, and why that's so important? Yeah, back in 2004, I was confronted with trying to explain that so ordinary folks could understand. And I wrote a little movie, and I, unfortunately, I don't have a copy of the movie anymore, but uh, the movie I entitled Life in Tibet. Okay. And the premise of the movie was somebody turned 65 and on that, that night before they had their birthday the next, next day, they went to bed in the United States. And on the morning that they turned 65, they woke up in Tibet and they looked around and they said, I don't understand anything that's going on here. I don't, everything is unfamiliar. Everything is different. Everybody's speaking a different language. Everybody looks different. They're dressing different. And the analogy I made was that's how our money feels when we retire, because when it moves from growth to what we call distribution or spend down, 
It's like going to another universe. It's like going to Tibet if you're money, because all of the tried and true tactics and techniques and strategies that you use to grow your money don't work when you take your money out. Totally different set of skills and tactics, for sure. Absolutely. So Absolutely. that that segues kind of into let's let's get into it a little bit. So the the traditional approach, um, what I'll maybe call the total return strategy or total return approach, that is uh, something that's kind of widespread and very mm-hmm. commonly used in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so to explain what that total return approach or strategy is, and what the biggest risk or issue with that is. Yeah, I have a real problem with it for many investors. The total return approach says you've got a portfolio of assets at retirement and you're simply going to take out a defined percentage each year. And usually it's typically 4% of the previous year's ending balance. The problem with that approach is many fold. If I had the power to ban its use, I would for a large segment of investors. It doesn't mitigate risks well enough for most people. And this gets me into something that I would have to explain so you have some context for this. Not every investor is the same. I think of investors as coming in three flavors or segments. There are overfunded investors, underfunded investors, and constrained investors. Overfunded investors are a lucky minority of people who have more money than they need to produce the income they're looking for. They can use a total return strategy. They can use any strategy. They have such a cash cushion, it doesn't matter. Underfunded investors are the folks who get to retirement with very little savings or no savings. They're going to rely on Social Security. But in the middle, you have millions of people who I call constrained investors. They have money. They may have a smaller amount or a larger amount. It's not about the amount. It's about how that amount of money relates to the income they need to produce. And oftentimes, it's close. The amount of savings that they have is going to be stretched to provide the income that they need to meet their essential expenses in retirement. What does that practically mean? It means that these people have to be really cautious. They need protection against risks that can reduce their income or even make their income vanish entirely. What I call timing risk is one. Longevity risk is another. Inflation risk is yet another. These are the three big risks that I think about with retirees. And unfortunately, the total return strategy doesn't do a good job in managing at least two of those timing risk and longevity risk. Makes well, if, sense. Any, if any of those go array or if, there, if you have real problems or issues with any of those two out of the three, then the constrained investor, which is the one, is the one we're talking about, which is a big swath of the population, yeah. they have a real now issue with potentially having to reduce their income or they could run out, right? Right. You know, the irony is that it's really easy to protect against these risks. You just have to know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And this is where you get into that specialty of income planning. Mm -hmm. The investment advisor who typically says, you know, take out 4% a year or 3% a year, whatever it may be, is really telling you that he or she doesn't have the expertise to know how to do this job properly. Yeah. Now, okay, so that's a good segue. So the flip side of that is what we would call maybe a time segmented approach or a bucket Mm -hmm. type approach. Mm -hmm. That's the term. So uh, explain for us real simply what that what that means and how it kind of deals with these risks that we've talked about. um, Yeah. Face all the constrained investors. 
I think it'll make more sense if I describe one of the risks first and then okay, explain perfect. why how it works. So the risk that I'm most concerned about is timing risk. Timing risk is something that happens when you retire and unfortunately you have a portfolio of assets, but the stock market starts to decline early in retirement. Think of somebody who's retired over the last three to six months. What have they seen? They've seen a depreciating stock prices, right? So the example I use is this, very simple example to illustrate the point. Imagine somebody retires and they have a thousand shares of ABC company in their portfolio, and it's selling for $10 a share, and it's January. So now the retiree needs, say, $1,000 of income. If ABC is selling for $10 a share and the retiree needs $1,000, how many shares have to be sold? 100 shares. Yeah, 100 shares. Right? Fine. That leaves 900 shares in the portfolio. Now we get to February. Something's happened. ABC companies going down in value a little bit, selling for $8 a share. The retiree in February needs the same $1,000 of income. Now the retiree has to sell 125 shares. Now there's 775 shares in the portfolio. Now we get to March. ABC company has declined to $5 a share. Retiree needs the same $1,000, but now the retiree has to sell 200 shares. So now there's 575 shares in the portfolio. And then we get in April, and ABC is declined now to $2 a share. So to get the same $1,000, the retiree now has to sell 500 shares, which only leaves 75 shares in the portfolio for May. So we get to May, and what happens? It zooms back up. ABC has gone up to $12 a share. There's only 75 shares left. This retiree can't enjoy the games because those shares, once they're gone, are irrevocably gone. So he or she sells the remaining 75 shares at $12, gets $900 of income, doesn't even get enough income to satisfy the need that month, and has nothing left. That's the problem. That spiral downward. It's like compound interest working against you. In reverse. It just destroys the retiree's financial future. And it's an easy thing to fix. All you have to do is in the first 10 years of retirement, make certain that you're taking your income from an investment that is not subject to having principal risk. Those first 10 years are the danger zone for retirees. If in that first 10 years, you're not using equities or you know market risk assets to produce income, you're going to be fine with timing risk. Yep, that's great. And you talked about those three labels that you uh, give to retirees, the underfunded, mm-hmm. overfunded, and the constrained. constrained. Yeah. yeah. And would you say that the, so the risk is that you're talking about here is primarily um, applied to the constrained investors? Yes, the constrained the, investors, they have no margin for error, mm-hmm. you know, Chris. There's no wiggle room for them. Right. So what does that mean? That means they have to somehow be disciplined investors. They can't be running in and out of the market every time it gets scary. So they have to be durably uh, steady investors. Well, what would make somebody be able to be a steady investor when they're retired? One thing would be a safe monthly paycheck. So this is another reason for doing what I just said. If, If you have those first 10 years locked down with safe investments, you can provide 120 safe, predictable paychecks to the retiree. That makes it much easier to stay invested if things turn downward. Now, we haven't seen a lot of you know, problems with uh, stock market declines in 14 years. 
That's really unprecedented. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. And so now it looks like maybe things will be changing a bit because inflation is surging, interest rates are going high. The Fed is signaling its intention to stop its money expansion policy. None of that bodes well for stocks, right? And so if you're a retiree and you're subject to this um, timing risk problem, you really need to be thinking about adjusting it if, if you're a constrained investor, because it can be ruinous to your financial future if you don't mitigate that risk. Yeah, so simply thought of those first 10 years of retirement, you're using non-market risk, non-principal risk type investments. And then what that means is that anything that you're taking risk in, you're putting into those later segments right? yes. or later buckets. And, and why are you putting those into those later segments or buckets, David? Because a constrained investor or almost any retiree also needs to have exposure to the stock market. And that's because we want to deliver inflation-adjusted income over the course of retirement. So what I favor is for people is a balanced strategy that mixes safe investments and safe paychecks with ongoing exposure to equities to provide stock market participation so they get the best of both worlds. And I would, for many investors, also supplement that with some of their money being allocated to the purchase of an annuity that provides a lifetime guaranteed income. Because one of the other risks that constrained investors have to be very concerned about is longevity risk. You know, in addition to Social Security, if they have some amount of money that's coming from an annuity that will provide income for as long as they live, it just makes it easier for those folks to be able to meet expenses that are, uh, you know, could go on forever. And people don't understand oftentimes how long the need for income can be. I mean, if you, if you think of someone, let's say you had a lady who's 66 and is retiring and she has longevity, good longevity in her family. Her mother died at 96. Is it possible with all of the medical advances and all of this nanotechnology and these new therapies that are coming that she could outlive her mother by six years? Of course it is. That means she's gonna need income till 102. And people might say, well, that's kind of far-fetched. Well, no, it's not. There's over 900,000 Americans right now who are over 100. By the time that lady makes it to 100, there'll be 5 million. So it's not far-fetched that people will need income, in her case, that could go on for three and a half decades. And there's where the advantage of the annuity is, because it is the singular vehicle that is able to do that, provide income that goes on for as long as you, you do. Yeah, you can't outlive it. And I think when I think of the discussions I have with clients on the equity part, um, I can show them, you know, there are very, very few or a very small number of 10-year periods with the U.S. stock market where returns were lower 10 years later than they were 10 years before. So right. if we're going to take risk in a place, let's do it in a place where we have high certainty where there is going to be a positive outcome. And yeah. that there's very few things that do keep up with inflation over time, the markets being one of them. That's true. That's very true. And this is why it's important mm -hmm. and proper for people to have participation, you know, in, in mm -hmm. the equity markets. Okay. So this would be your guess, David. Um, I'm curious, you know, we talked about that constrained investor group. So what mm -hmm. percentage of people do you think fall into that category? I mean, I know there's no way to really track that, but I know it's the larger swath probably. Yeah. How big do you think that group is? For so there's a, there's a group of people who get to retirement with little or no savings. Mm -hmm. Then there's everyone else. 
of everyone else, I'd say constrained investors are at least 80% mm -hmm. of the people who've saved uh, regularly and consistently for retirement. Yeah. Like I said, a constrained investor could have $2 million, $5 million, right. $10 million. Mm -hmm. But if they're having a very expensive lifestyle, they need a very specific and carefully designed plan for income. Yeah. And the a lot of times get, people get hung up on this is how much I have in assets. Um, I'm often having conversations with them about, well, you don't pay for your lifestyle with your assets. You well, pay when, for it with your income. Well, let me speak about that because that's a really great insight you have. Here's the way I think about it. In retirement, it's your income, not your wealth, that creates your standard of living. I heard those words first spoken by Robert C. Merton, who is a economist and winner of the Nobel Prize in economics. Such a simple sentence, but so powerful. In retirement, it's your income, not your wealth, that creates your standard of living. That caused me to think of my own principle, which is the income producing value of money changes all the time, and you should assume that it will change when you're retired. Now, let me give you an example that melds those two principles together. Let's go back to 2000 and imagine we had a, a gentleman, call him Fred, who's retiring. And Fred is risk averse. He just is not comfortable having his money exposed to risk. So he goes to his local bank with his $500,000 and they recommend he buys six-month CDs and he earns an interest rate of 6.91%. And he gets $2,878 a month in interest. He's 60, 65 years old. Fast forward. 14 years. Now it's 2014. And Fred is 79. And he's still just as much risk averse as he was when he was 65. And something's happened. The interest rate on the six-month CD has gone from 6.91% to 0.28%. And his monthly income has gone from $2,878 to $116. It's declined by 96%. So what does that teach us? It teaches us what Merton said, that in retirement, it's your income, not your wealth. The wealth never changed. The income changed remarkably. And it highlights what I said, that the income producing value of money changes all the time. In this example, it changed remarkably. Yeah, and you're not just making up numbers. That's actually what happened to interest rates on yeah. bank type no, no, that's, during that's that period. That's yeah. actually what happened. That's right. Fed had to make all those changes when get us out of the Great Recession. Okay, yeah. so we have this big percentage of people who we think are in the constrained investor category. I agree with you on that. So how do they know who they are, right? Because a lot of times we don't have self-awareness. So yeah. we just think, oh, well, I'm doing better than everybody else around me. So how would someone know that they're a constrained investor? It's a great question. So the way I would <laughs> advise someone to do it is figure out what you need each month to fund your minimally acceptable lifestyle. I would define that as being all of your essential expenses, your housing, your medical care, your clothing, your food, your prescription co-pays, insurance, utilities, and then gross that up by a certain amount, maybe 30%. And that is your minimally acceptable lifestyle cost. So let's say that's $5,000, for example, just to pick a number. Then you say, well, what do I have right now that can help fund that? Well, you'll have social security. Let's say Social Security is $2,200. That leaves a difference of $2,800. That's the amount of money that you're going to have to generate from your savings. 
So what we do is we take, take that $2,800, multiply it by 12, and then divide that by the amount of savings that you have available to produce income. That's called the income to assets ratio. Take the amount of annual income that you need to generate from your savings, divide it by the amount of assets available to produce income, and you'll get a percentage. If that percentage is 3% or higher, you are a constrained investor. Okay. Yeah. So easy way to do that. If it's less than that, you might be in the overfunded category. Uh, if it's double digits, you're probably constrained or you're underfunded. Correct. Right? Okay. Right. Thank you. That's great. So, you know, there's the, the Fed keeps threatening that they're going to start raising interest rates, They've been, which they probably will. They've been saying it for a long time. But uh, I'm curious what you think the rising of interest rates does to the efficacy or of the income for life model. Because I mean, one of the big complaints has been, um, well, those those buckets of money for the first 10 years, the types of products that you can use there, they don't pay anything. Or And I know that's not the purpose of them, right? You and I know that. But um, do you think if rates go up and interest rates go up, that that will make those things more attractive? I know that probably they shouldn't even be thinking of it in those terms for right. the efficacy of it, but um, what's your yep. opinion on that? So one of the criticisms of the strategy from financial advisors is exactly as you just said, why should I take, say, 20% of my funds and put it in that first bucket, which is a safe money bucket, and it only is paying, you know, a half a percent or something. Mm -hmm. And what they don't get, they don't get two things. Whether it's paying a quarter of a percent, a half a percent, one percent, one and a half percent, two, two and a half percent, when you're amortizing that money over a short five-year window, it hardly makes any difference in the monthly income. They're all caught up in the wrong issue. Now, what they overlook though, that's even more important, is that first segment in that strategy. Let's say it's five years, right? It's invested safely. It's gonna produce 60 safe monthly paychecks. I call that the behavior bucket because what that stability does is make it possible for the retiree to stay with the strategy if the market turns against them. So for example, let's say we've set up a strategy where we have five five-year buckets. Let's say we want to generate 25 years of income. So we have a safe bucket, number one, safe bucket, number two, a little bit of risk, a little more risk, a lot of risk. The idea being that the buckets that are held for longer periods of time they get smaller allocations of money, but they're invested more aggressively for the simple reason that we have time. This makes sense. So let's say two years into the strategy, there's a terrible downturn in stocks, something like 08. Well, people are panicking. The news is doom and gloom. They show the traders on Wall Street, you know, miserable. Holding their hands like this. Right, exactly. <laughs> and this individual who has the strategy I'm describing is nervous. Everybody's going to be nervous. <laughs> So he or she calls the advisor and the advisor says, you know, Mrs. Jones, let's remember what we did here. First of all, your paycheck is secure. It's going to show up on the first of the month. Don't worry. Secondly, we're not going to need that third bucket for another eight years. Don't worry, ride this out. And guess what? That's what people can do. And guess how important that is? That's the difference between success and failure. Right. Yeah. The, the panicking and selling at the, at the mm -hmm. first time. Um, right. blows up the strategy and uh, that behavioral bucket allows them to see long-term perspective on that money and stay invested. Exactly right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now what about 
the flexibility of the strategy. So someone <clears throat> goes through, sets all this up, and then something happens, they need a lump sum in a pinch. And, you know, what bucket do I take it out of? Uh, is it accessible or liquid? So with that, is there always a pretty good place to take money from in case something like that happens, David? So here's the way it's typically designed. You can have the strategy, as I described it, and part of the strategy can be what we call a reserve account. And that's just an amount of money. Let's say the client has a million dollars, but for whatever reason, they think $35,000 should be available at all times, just in case something comes up and they need to lay their hands on cash. And so you set up a reserve account, which you know our system builds an income plan, which describes exactly how the retiree's uh, income is going to be created. And you can set up one of these things called a reserve account, put $35,000 in there, and just say that that's just something on the side. It's a companion to the plan with cash available. And that's always available. Or if, let's say, they need $100,000, they can readjust a bucket. Maybe they take some money away from that far out bucket, that last bucket, and uh, meet the cash need, whatever it may be. There's nothing that's set in stone. There's nothing that can't be you know, tweaked or, or adjusted if it needs to be. I think that's one of the virtues of the plan, actually, that it can be adjusted. Yeah, and a lot of those investments that are using for later buckets are relatively liquid. Correct. Within three to five days or something like that in case of an emergency if they really needed the money. That's Assuming right. that it is actually an emergency because everyone's definition of an emergency is a little bit different. Yeah. All right. So what have you seen as being the biggest benefit to folks that employ this type of approach? You mentioned that they're able to stay invested. Is there other like huge benefits that you see uh, to the approach? Oh, I do. Yeah. First of all, if you don't have a true strategy, like I'm describing, where are you left mentally? You're left to not know how much to spend. Guess what the normal human response to that is? To underspend, right? So people are afraid to spend, and therefore they deprive themselves of the standard of living they should be enjoying. Well, that's, that's, you know, that's unfortunate. There's no need to have that happen. So when you have a plan that's designed properly, you know how much risk you can take. You know how much you spend. When you know those two things, it creates peace of mind. It creates confidence, you know, and comfort in, in, your, in your psyche. And I, I don't think you can put a price on that when you're retired. Yeah, yeah, because you certainly don't want to go back to work. And just from working with clients, I mean, uncertainty leads to all kinds of potential bad decisions and, yeah, and, that's right. and not optimal thinking. Okay, so I understand you started this Women and Income Initiative. Yes. Um, something that you recently did. So tell us, tell us a little bit about that. So I'm very much interested in this issue. You know, women, women within five or six years will control the majority of investment assets that exist, upwards of $30 trillion. Why is that happening? Because women live longer. <laughs> you know, as, as their male spouses pass, women will inherit money. And they will, for the first time in most cases, be the sole decision makers over what happens with that money. Well, guess what the first sole decision they make in most cases? The first sole decision that they make is to fire the advisor who was working with the husband and the wife in seven out of 10 instances. And what does that tell you? That tells you that for those years, it may have been 10 or 15 or 20 years that relationship existed. The male advisor 
wasn't really talking to the spouse, was really talking at the spouse and talking to and satisfying the needs of the male spouse and slowly alienating the female. That's a problem. That doesn't benefit anybody. So in order to build what we did, which was the first retirement income solution for boomer women, we wanted to do a few things. Help men, first of all, be better than they have been by learning how to listen, learning how to care about different issues, because the research is very, very clear. Women invest a little bit differently. They think about money a little bit differently. They have different priorities than than male investors. Men are focused on ROI and fast transactions. And women are focused on ROR, return on relationship. They want to have a financial advisor who understands and cares enough to know the first names of their kids, to know what their values are, to know what their priorities are, and to not be focused on charts and graphs and you know endless pieces of paper. It's a different, it's a different set of priorities, and it requires a different set of skills, listening skills, especially on the part of the male advisor. So we're actually coaching men female-led coaching to make them better uh, at relating to, you know, the women investor. And we've created a plan that really speaks to the priorities and differentiated needs that, that women say that they have. So but thank you for bringing that up. It's, it's yeah, a really fantastic. important topic. Yeah, very important. Yeah, I've seen, you know, examples of that in my own practice on the, the good and the bad side of that and have had to do some internal reflection and Mm-hmm. So searching on how I approach those conversations and how you uh, deal with those differences that people have between male and female. Okay, let's switch gears just a little bit. I'm curious, David, outside of your practice, can you tell me something that you are passionate about personally? I'm passionate about history. Okay. If I, uh, if I had were to take a different road in my youth, I probably would have studied history and maybe taught history. Okay, and what any particular period or era or anything that you you really like? I'm very very interested in the history around the Second World War. Okay, why things happened the way they did, and uh, and trying to understand the, the dynamics and motivations uh, for something that happened that was so preposterously bad. Mm-hmm. That's one area. Okay. Uh, and I like American history as well, including uh, at the time of the founding of the country. Yeah. Well, we're kindred spirits there. History was my top subject in school. Oh, good. So <laughs> civics and history. I loved it. All right. So thinking about the future, what do you see as your biggest opportunity for you, either in, in business or what you're endeavoring um, going yeah. forward? So what I would like to do is really twofold. I would like to help the industry serve the women investor better than they have been. And separately, I would like to help the registered investment advisors of the world who don't execute well on retirement income planning be better, including having them embrace annuities. Annuities are vital tools in income planning for constrained investors. And if you start from the perspective that you say, I hate annuities and I would never use an annuity, you've completely eliminated your ability to be effective, right? And so, uh, and part of that is to, you know, help annuities become better as they have, you know, that right now there's no, there's no valid 
uh, complaint against annuities, there's no valid objection on the part of a registered investment advisor to engage with annuities because they're available in such a way that they don't have to alter their business model, their philosophy, uh, or their uh, construct in any way. Yeah, they can still do the what's in the client's best interest. That's right. That's right. Which is helping them design a strategy that allows them to not run out of money and have an inflation-adjusted income for life. That's right. Yep. Okay. So uh, on the flip side of that, what do you see as probably your biggest challenge um, that you're facing? Getting men to recognize that they have to, you know, change some of their style and tactics and be open to coaching. I think that's one. Uh, and getting getting product manufacturers to think, they, they tend to think in a product mindset all the time, as opposed to a people mindset. And the third thing would be, in general, to decomplicate everything. There's, there's too much jargon in our industry. There's too much complexity. It's off-putting to people. I, I've always believed that if someone doesn't truly understand what they're being asked to buy, they may still buy it. They won't feel good about it. Uh, they'll never feel comfortable. So the only way you can create comfort and confidence is something in, in anything that you're trying to get someone to do is that if they have a, a true, uh, true understanding of what they're being asked to buy or do or purchase, whatever it may be. That, that, is, a, that is a big challenge, especially with the complexity. We have internal conversations here with my partners and I about how we're communicating things so people understand them. All right, David, we're close to the end. Now, if people wanted to learn more about you or the best way to reach out or to find out about your initiatives, the things you're working on, what's the, what's the way they should do that? Well, there's a website uh, where I've written a number of articles uh, for uh, consumers to understand many of the topics that I've talked about. It's called retirementinvestor.io, retirementinvestor.io. Or they can go to my website directly, davidmachia.com. That's M-A-C-C-H-I-A. And there's a voluminous amount of material to read <laughs> at both right. places. That's a good word. I like that, voluminous. Yeah. Okay, cool. David, listen, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here with me today. It's been a true pleasure. Learned a lot. You helped us understand a lot, which I really appreciate the most. And I do want to thank everyone that's listening and watching for tuning into the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we hope to raise the retirement confidence and knowledge of everyday people one show at a time. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in and watching. Be safe, be well. And David, thank you so much. It's my pleasure, Chris. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.